At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Good Morning, as we learn from the cries of Israel recorded in the book of Lamentations. Together, we'll discover the depth of God's love for us, even in seasons of suffering, and learn to take our sorrows to the Savior. receive us as we give ourselves away that it would be no longer we who live but you Jesus Christ who lives in us that as we carry our cross as your disciple you would teach us you would show us how important you are above everything else and in competition with anything else everything loses to you Jesus so we give ourselves away to you that God as you would uh, equip me to preach I give myself away to you As you would equip us each to hear, we give ourselves away to you. That we give you our eyes, we give you our ears, we give you our minds and our hearts, that you might do something with them today. You can do something much more powerful than anything we can manufacture on our own here. More powerful than any lyrics to any song. More powerful than any preacher or any singer. We want you, Holy Spirit of the living God, Jesus, you promised you would give us a helper. You promised that when you went away, when you went to heaven, that it was better for us to have a helper. So Holy Spirit of the living God, please move mightily in our minds today. Move mightily in our hearts today. That as we unpack your timeless truth found in sacred scripture, that we would surrender, that we would relinquish any control we think we have as we give ourselves to you fully and wholly in obedience. So we trust you, we love you, we praise you, we thank you, we give ourselves to you now so you can use us. Use it all for your glory, do it all by your grace. We ask in your mighty name, Jesus Christ. Together we say amen and amen. Let's give God a hand clap of praise, church. Come on. Let's praise God for our worship team as they've led us to the throne of grace. Let's continue to praise God, church. Come on. And keep praising God for our children. Children, you can be released to kids' ministry right now. It's so important that we worship together. It's so important that our kids get to see us worshiping. So as the kids make their way, I don't want us to ever think that this is just like a weird transition or some, a place we're putting kids because we don't have anywhere else to put them. We need to see kids worshiping, and they need to see us worshiping. Amen? How else are they going to know to raise their hand when, when their hearts are broken if they don't see adults doing it? So I'm so grateful that we get to have kids in here with worship with us. Now we're in this series that we've been in now for four weeks called Good Morning. Good means right, wise, and needed. Morning has a U in it. So that means, uh, I thought somebody was trying to get my attention. I was like, hey, what, what do we need to talk about? <laughs> I thought they were telling me to sit down. I was like, I, th- I think I'm supposed to preach. <laughs> Good morning, right, wise, and needed morning, and grief and lament because we need a space for that. And why are we in this series? And I think 
the primary reason we're in this series is that our culture at large, and maybe even the church specifically, evidence a shared weakness. And that weakness is, we don't always know what to do with our grief. We don't always know what to do with our loss. How many of you have ever felt strange when someone shared bad news with you? You're like, I I don't know what to say. I don't know what to tell you. Most of the time we say, I'm sorry, but that doesn't always cut it. That doesn't make people feel better, and you haven't necessarily wronged them. So that may not be the right answer, and 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 it's hard for us, especially, you know, throughout our whole lives, we've seen injustice. Every single one of us lives in a world tainted by sin. And especially last year, there were a lot of moments that we just didn't know what to do, that we just didn't know what to say, all over the world, in our nation, locally, but I think the church especially. And why I say the church especially is because we are uniquely equipped as followers of Jesus Christ to have the answer to every problem the world faces. He is the answer. So for each of us today... This is why we're in this series called Good Morning. We need to experience this. We need to understand the biblical practice, the spiritual discipline of lament. Now, I personally believe the prophet Jeremiah wrote the book of Lamentations. It fits the timeline. It comes right after uh, Jeremiah in, in the canon of Scripture. And we see Jeremiah teaching us how to lament. We see Jeremiah teaching us how to be sad. And why do we need to know how to be sad? Because every one of us longs for a happier tomorrow, but we're often faced with devastating todays. Every one of us wants the triumphs of life, but often we're left holding the tragedies of life. And when one segment or another of our family, of our culture, of our congregations are hurting with hardship, disaster, injustice, I think we've proven it's easier to ignore it. I think we've proven it's easier just to say, I don't know how to handle it, so it's not, I'm not the one who's supposed to do it. Or even more egregiously, perhaps, well, I didn't do that to you, so I don't have to sit with you in this mess. So how are we supposed to deal with this? How are we supposed to deal with all of the destructive realities that we would all agree with a big yes and amen are affecting every single one of our lives? Whether it's crime, wars, genocide, racism, classism, ageism, genderism, whatever the case might be, we are all faced with affliction, every single one of us, and we need to know what to do when someone asks you how you're doing and you say, I'm good, but you know you lied. You know you're not actually good. We need to know what to do. And God so obviously loves us. Amen. That's a great time to praise him, right? When the preacher says, God so obviously loves you, just start clapping, right? God so obviously loves us. There we go. All right, we're we're getting there. Amen. We're doing it, church. Uh, Because we know he's given his son for us, but also he's given us experiences and reality as we read through scripture and watch him. As a good father, walking with his people, sorrow after sorrow, hardship after hardship. And what does he do with all this difficulty? He is knitting their hearts more closely to his heart. That is what God does with pain and grief and loss and mourning. He enlarges our heart and soul to be more like his heart. So as we journey through this often forgotten and very rarely, if ever, preached book of Lamentations... We're going to see how good morning is needed for us. We're going to see how we can take our sorrows to the Savior. That's the only place we actually have an answer. And I hope that we'll be able to paint this. These three realities. Somebody say three realities. Three realities illustrated that are necessary on the journey of appropriate and biblical lament. Because often 
our pain can't just be figured out in our brain, can it, right? Sometimes your pain hurts a little bit more than if somebody just says, it's going to be okay. You're like, I believe that, so I'm okay now. No, it doesn't always go that way. You know, paraphrasing one of the great theological works, Thomas Aquinas wrote uh, a work called the Summa Theologica, and he talks about us being embodied people, that we're not just spirit, we're not just soul, we are in flesh, and we experience emotions physically, right? Your blood pressure raises when you're stressed at work. Amen? Anybody volunteering for counseling? A couple of people's hands went way up real quick, right? We're embodied people, though. So we have to understand, how do we take this grief to God? How do we get resolutions for the pain we experience? And if you have been tracking with us, if you were with us last week, you saw one of the most spectacular statements in the entirety of Scripture, right? That two and a half straight chapters of pain, difficulty, destruction, heartache, uh, really, really vulgar and violent things in chapters 1 and 2 if we're tracking with what's happening to Jerusalem and Judah and even Jeremiah himself as the poet prophet here. About halfway through chapter 3, he says, ah, this I call to mind. This I'm remembering, therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And then... A great title to a great hymn, probably my favorite. Great is thy faithfulness. So how is it, after two and a half straight chapters of pain and difficulty and years of warnings and years of problems, Jeremiah can says, oh, I remember now. The love of my God will never cease and his faithfulness is great. That somehow in the face of affliction, Jeremiah remembered his God and had hope no matter the circumstance. So as we continue on in chapter 3 today, open your Bibles, Lamentations chapter 3, and we're going to cover the rest of the chapter. We're going to bounce around a little bit because we've got these three realities illustrated that we really need to explore to help us on the journey of lament. All of us need help with this journey on lament. Even if you're the best at it, you need help leading somebody else through it. Amen? Okay, so we're going to look at these three realities. The first reality really does build on the second reality that we saw last week. Last week, point number two was to remember our God. That if we're going through pain, if we're going through affliction, all we need to do is remember our God. Point number one for this week is diving a little bit deeper into who God is and what God wants as we remember the heart of of our God. We need to remember the heart of our God, not just the omnipotence, omnipresence, all-powerful nature of our God, but the heart of our God as who primarily? Father, the heart of our Father God. And again, this is an acrostic, which means it follows the Hebrew alphabet. So for us, it would be A, B, C, D, E in English. This follows the Hebrew alphabet, stanza by stanza, line by line. Chapter 3 is a triplet, so it's three verses at a time that follow one letter of the Hebrew alphabet. So uh, if any of you have those Hebrew alphabet letters in your Bible, uh, we're going to talk about them a little bit today so you know what you're looking at. It's not just some word you can't pronounce, and it actually means something. Uh, so remembering the heart of God, and we're going to look at verse 25, 31, Two and three. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. Verse 31. For the Lord will not cast off forever, but though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love, for he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men. 
So again, we've seen this for two and a half straight chapters. Destruction, pain, major problems in the life of Jeremiah. Horrific suffering has been described through these two and a half chapters. And he, he's talking on behalf of Judah in chapters 1 and 2. Chapter 3, he personalizes it for himself as the poet prophet himself. And then he makes this assertion in verse 25. God is good. After all this pain, after all this difficulty, and if you've been with us for these two weeks, these three weeks, excuse me, you'll realize just how shocking and disorienting a statement like this is. How can he say God is good to those who are seeking him and waiting on him when he's talking about all the pain and all the difficulty and all the heartache that he is experiencing? How is God actually good, Jeremiah? Make it make sense to me. So he's basically saying whatever happens... We need to live with the understanding that if we wait on the Lord and see his heart for us, we can see how he is good. We can see how he never wanted to afflict us anyway. We can see how the pain that we're experiencing isn't actually God's heart for us. How many of you have children? How many of you love to discipline your children? Amen. I love y'all honest folk. Amen. I'm there some days too. I'm like, come on. We're going to learn today. <laughs> but no parent who is a good and godly parent wants to hurt their child. None of them, right? So this is not God's heart for us. This is not what he truly wanted for us. And Jeremiah asking these questions gets to these answers. And what he's unveiling to us is a deeper understanding of the heart and purpose of God as father in our lives as the nation of Judah, the city of Jerusalem, and Jeremiah himself. And I think that what we need to wrestle with a little bit today is the historical moment and where Jeremiah finds himself in his life. If you understand God as father, as good and caring and loving and providing, it ought to be a little disorienting to you when your life's in shambles. No matter if you're here today or you're on Facebook, wherever you're at, it ought to be a little disorienting when your life feels crushed, when your life feels like, how on earth could this be happening to me? I love God. And for Jeremiah, I think that disorientation happened, and that's why he's asking these questions, these questions of, where are you in all this, God? If you remember, if you've been with us, this, this book in Hebrew is not even called Lamentations, right? It's one word. The word in Hebrew is ech, which means, how could this happen? Why have you let this happen to me? It's a very, very powerful word in Hebrew. So Jeremiah is asking, like, where are you, God? How can you be good and let this still happen to me? Now, if you read the entirety of the book, Jeremiah, which comes before Lamentations, maybe some leisurely weekend reading for you, you'll see how warning after warning after warning after warning was given to the nation of Israel and the nation of Judah. They still were idolatrous and sinful, so God is punishing him in the way he said he would do it. All God is doing is keeping good on his word. But there had to be people in that nation that weren't as guilty as others, right? How many of you have ever been, uh, and I've done this a ton of times, I've been the reason why, but I've also been uh, sort of an innocent bystander. Uh, how many of you have played sports growing up? When somebody messed up, everybody had to run? Amen, coach. You, you raised your hand, coach. You're like, yes, oh yes. Everyone's running, right? I learned a lot of lessons running for somebody else's foolishness, and it taught me how to take care of my brother, right? So, so you may say like, but, but I didn't do it. What have I done to deserve this? And there were surely people in the nation of Judah who were able to stand on that and say like, God, how is this happening to me? 
And in searching for that answer, what they find and what we see from Scripture is this was never God's heart for you anyway. This was never what God truly wanted for you. Theologian Christopher Wright says God gets no pleasure from inflicting pain on his people. His judgments are not the way he wants to relate to humanity, but are his right responses to human sin. That this is not God's heart for us, but God wouldn't be good if he didn't punish sin. Amen? I know sometimes it hurts, friends, but God would not be good if there weren't consequences for sin. So while we, mourning our personal evil, mourning our cultural evil, mourning our familial and even national evil, we must call to mind and call to heart that our God is good to us, that his heart is good for us, that he is driven by love ultimately, that he is holy and just and righteous and pure and as a good loving father loves his children, guiding us and giving us the ultimate ultimate joy himself he wants to give himself to us and the heart is the heart of God is on display throughout humanity I could pass a microphone around here and say when was the heart of God in display on your life and I guarantee you most of us would have a testimony right if you don't think that you would have one talk to your neighbor today because you need to see how good God is you need to see just how good God has been to your friends and your neighbors and your church you need to feel that but one primary example from Scripture that I think is probably one of the easiest ones uh, is the life of Joseph, right? Joseph, rejected by his family, sold into slavery, told his older brothers, right, one day you're going to bow to me. As I read the Bible, I'm like, maybe you should have left that one out, man. Like, I've got younger siblings. That would not fly with me either, right? I may not fake their death or sell them into slavery or anything like that, but I, I get it, right? It's just family dynamics here. But Joseph goes through, like, the worst of life's catastrophes, falsely imprisoned, accused, all these things and then him remembering the heart of his God that my God is good is able to say things like this in Genesis 50 20 right where he says you meant it for evil but God meant it for good that's understanding the heart of your God right that yeah you give God praise for Joseph's life right that's understanding the heart of your God that even when you're going through difficulty you can say God I know you're doing something here and he tells his brothers later he said that God sent me on before and being sent on before means your death was faked, you were sold into slavery, you were falsely imprisoned, you were falsely accused. You probably got some beatings while you were in jail because that's how it went, right? But God had his good hand upon you and he said, God sent me before you. Why? To preserve your life. That is understanding the heart of God. That even in the midst of trial, even in the midst of suffering, remembering God's heart will cause us to see God's hand. Will cause us to see God's plan. So when, this, when our sin... My own sin, your own sin, or the sin of our community, the sin of our culture, the injustice that we see all around us causes suffering. Church, don't miss this. It should be life-giving to you, even though it's through gut-wrenching sobs. Even though you are crying so hard you can't breathe, it should still be life-giving to know that God's heart is still, it always was, and it always will be rooted in his faithful love for you. Because God loves us so much that he gave his son, Jesus. When brokenness and sorrow is threatening our faith, you need to ask the question, what is suffocating my faith in my life? What is it in my life? What brokenness, what sin, what sorrow, what pain that's not been resolved is causing me not to have faith in a God whose heart I know is good for me? That's the dissonance that we all have to get to. That's the dissonance when people curse God and they're mad at God and they end up hating God because they can't get past the pain, the heartbreak, and the sorrow to see 
He loves you. He really, really does love you. So understanding the heart of the Father, remembering our Father's heart ought to cause us to course correct. And if you really know that, if you really get there to the heart of the Father, to someone who loves you beyond belief, even if you've been going through trial and difficulty, even if you hate him today, that doesn't mean he doesn't love you. Even if you've cursed him, that doesn't mean he doesn't love you. So we've got to remember that and we've got to understand that, church. Because if we can't understand that, you might as well just leave now. Because the other two points aren't going to matter to you. However, for those of us that do understand that, we need to stop picking on people that are blind spiritually. We need to stop picking on the world who doesn't see the heart of God. And we're like, oh, the world, it's all their fault. No, they're blind. Would you ever pick on a blind person? Would you ever say, oh, look at that fool. He's about to run into traffic. No, you would say, hey, hey, stop. You're going to get hurt. This is the posture we need to have with the world. It's not, oh, look at the world ruining stuff. No, Christians, in my opinion, not being Christians is what's ruining things, right? Not standing up and saying, here's what we got to do. Yes, we have an enemy of our soul. Yes, we have an enemy of God. Yes, we're fighting against sin, flesh, and Satan. But we have a responsibility, church. We have a responsibility to make the heart of God so attractive. People would be like, what on earth? What do you have? I want that. Whatever's going on in your life, that's what I want. How on earth can you be happy and you just got in a car accident? Because God preserved my life. Hallelujah, right? That that is the heart of God. So to rightly lament, lament, excuse me, we have to understand the heart of God and know it's good for us. Know that you know that you know that you know God's heart is good for you because he's a loving father. And then when we believe that, truly believe that, we can get to point number two, and that's carrying our cry to the Lord. When you believe someone has your best interest in mind, you are going to cry to them. When you believe somebody can do something about your pain, you're going to bring it to them. You're going to say, I need help, and I know you can help me. Let's see what what Jeremiah does here. Uh, So this is verses 55 through 63. I called on your name, O Lord, from the depths of the pit. You heard my plea. Do not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you, and you said, do not fear. You have taken up my cause, O Lord. You have redeemed my life. You have seen the wrong done to me, O Lord. Judge my cause. You have seen all their vengeance, all their plots against me. You have heard their taunts, O Lord, all their plots against me. The lips and thoughts of my assailants are against me all the day long. Behold, they're sitting and they're rising. I am the object of their taunts. Jeremiah is heartbroken. And he is carrying his cry to his God because he understood in the verses we just read, primarily 31, 2, and 3, God's heart was never bad for me. God punished sin, but his heart for me is his child. He wants me. He loves me. So he's carrying this cry to the Lord. Verse 49, he says, I will not stop crying until you hear my call. That I'm going to weep all my tears. And then when I'm all cried out, he says, I called on your name, O Lord, from the depth of the pit. Now, for these two and a half chapters, and for many of us, and probably many of us with church hurt, or many of us that are going through pain right now, we're like, yep, that sounds like the God I know, the one afflicting his people, the one causing pain, the one who's so far away when I needed him, the one who doesn't care about me when I called on him. That sounds like the God I know. But if we track with Jeremiah's lament, and it begins to unfold a little bit more, we see God speak the only words he speaks in the entire book of Lamentations. 
God doesn't say much in Lamentations. It's Jeremiah lamenting over the sin of Jerusalem, Judah, himself. And what does God say? It's not surprising. It's actually quite fitting. He says it hundreds and hundreds of times in Scripture. And it was basically Jesus' primary greeting to his, his disciples. He said, do not fear. Whatever you're going through, don't fear. This is the encouragement for us today. That as we understand the heart of the Father and we can carry our cry to him from the depth of our despair, we should hear him whisper to us, don't be afraid. It's going to be okay because I love you and because I care for you. I care for you. God is far from ignoring. God is far from distant. God wants to hear our cries. He wants us to understand his heart, especially in the very moment where you feel utterly lost. In verse 54, it says, the water was closing over my head, that, that I felt entirely and completely lost, that I didn't know what I was going to do. I, I don't have anything else to do. And only if you trust the heart of God will you say, God, I need your help. I can't do this by myself. Because what are we really saying if we don't cry out to God? You know what we're saying. Because you've said this in, our, in your own heart and in your own mind before. Because I've been there with you. When you have a problem and you don't bring it straight to God because you think you can handle it. When your heart is broken and you don't bring it straight to God because you're like, well, you're the, you're the one who did this to me. Why would, you, why would I want to go to you? What it really says, we don't carry our cry to the Lord, is we don't trust him. That we don't believe he can do anything about it. That he can't handle our hurt or her pain. That he can't fix this. When a spouse dies, and we don't know what to do, we don't know what to say. And we just go into depression. When a child passes away. When we lose our job again and again and again, whatever it is. True trust in the heart of your father causes you to carry your cry to him. But because so many of us have trust issues, nobody, I'm not going to ask anybody to raise their hand, don't worry. Trust issues with our parents, our father specifically, trust issues with our church, trust issues with anybody in authority over our lives, trust issues where I can't be vulnerable with anyone because if I'm not vulnerable, then they can't hurt me. That is not the heart of your father. The heart of your father loves you. The heart of your father wants to see you whole. The heart of your father wants to see you restored. The heart of your father does not want to grieve you. The heart of your father does not want to afflict you. So whatever it is you're going through, bring it to him. He can handle you yelling at him. Trust me, he won't get scared. And like we talked about last week, he ain't petty, right? He's not like, uh-uh, don't kill my, my vibe. That's not God. God is like, I know how your heart's broken anyway. And I want you to bring it to me. Because this is actually the natural reflex of real faith. When you realize there's nothing you can do, that's when faith comes in. When you realize I can't do anything to fix my position, that's when faith comes in. For many of us in this room, you realized there's nothing I can do to get right with God by myself. No work I could do would make me right with God. No amount of service or money that I would give would make me right with God. No attendance in church service would make me right with God. That's when real faith came in. Real faith came in because you realized that your sin and your soul were impoverished without him and without the work of God in your life. And that's when real faith and real trust comes in. So why don't we continue to take that to him? 
Why do we only do it for salvation? Right? This is, the, this is the common thing I hear and see in the life of the believer. They believe God created the world. Curse evolution. Right? That, that's, that's the first one. I believe Jesus saved me from hell. And I believe I'm going to go to heaven. There is like nothing in the middle though. There is not like, oh, God can do a miraculous exploit of his grace right now in my life. Right now with whatever I'm going through at work, at home, at school. Right now with whatever sin I have been convicted of or found in. Whatever's going on, we need to bring it to God still because that's what faith is. And when you don't do it, that's works, friends. That's I'm hoping things are just going to get better. Or I'm hoping nobody finds out. We have to bring it to him with faith. Trusting God to solve our ultimate problem. Our ultimate problem is an eternity separated from him. And how did that get solved? What's his name? Come on, like y'all believe it. What's his name? Let's go. This is faith, right? This is our ultimate problem. And we continue to depend upon him, turning to him, carrying our cry to him. Because when we carry our cries to God, something amazing happens. Especially when we carry our cries with our brothers and sisters. Or at Woodside Bible, with your life group. In my life group, like six weeks ago, someone was utterly heartbroken. And they didn't even have prayers to pray anymore. They didn't have tears to cry anymore. So we stopped what we were doing and we prayed for two hours. And somehow everybody walked away with a smile on their face. The circumstance didn't change at all. But we got reintroduced to the heart of our father saying, Jesus, this is awful and we need your help. We need you to help us. This is what carrying our cries to God can do. Because at some point, your heart is going to falter. I know in my pain, in my tragedy, my own heart has faltered. Where I'm like, I don't even, I can't pray anymore. My heart's broken. I don't even have tears anymore. I can't cry anymore. And that's why you need a brother, a sister, a life group, somebody who you are in ministry with to partner with you and carry you when you can't walk anymore. And Spiritual Family on Mission, what Woodside Bible Church in Pontiac is, is that how, that's how we can mourn together so that even when our hearts falter, it can grow our faith to trust God. Ultimately, that's what lament is. Lament is taking language of suffering and turning it into grace-fueled, trust-filled worship. The language of suffering can turn into worship through biblical lament. So when we understand God's heart for us, when you understand you got a father that loves you and wants the best for you, and you, this might be a newsflash to some of you, cannot orchestrate a better life for yourself than he can for you. Amen? Okay, there's a couple people who believe it. Some of you are catching on. I'm supposed to clap right now. I get it. It's okay. I know many of us have real good ideas for our life, but God's is better. Okay? I promise you. Just talk to your neighbor. Ask your neighbor. You'll get it on the way home if you didn't catch it. Point number three, if we trust God's heart, truly trusting his heart. Y'all have friends that you know you can trust and friends who you are guarded with your information. Because they are messy is the word for it today. God's not messy. He will never, ever show all my sins in front of anybody ever, ever. He knows them. Believe me, he knows them. But he'll never be messy about it. That's the heart of the Father. And when you really actually trust that and believe that, that's how you carry your cries to him. Because when you believe he can do something about it, why would you go to somebody that can't? I have a saying with my staff and with people around me, I'm like, don't take no from the person that can't say yes, right? Don't accept a no from anyone that can't tell you yes. So what we do now, the only right thing to do is point number three, wait. If you truly trust his heart and you brought your cry to him, 
Now you wait. You wait for real justice to come. Wait on the Lord to carry out justice. All of us are experiencing injustice all around us. You may not be immediately affected by it, but if you are in Christ, Christians are immediately affected by injustice. So your family is affected by injustice. So what do we have to do? Trust the heart of the Father, carry our cry to the Lord, and wait on him. Let's read our last few verses here, 26 and then 64, 5 and 6. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. 64, 5 and 6. You will repay them, O Lord. According to the work of their hands, you will give them dullness of heart. Your curse will be on them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under your heavens, O Lord. Jeremiah is praying against the people that would disqualify him as a prophet. Jeremiah is praying against Babylonian captivity and pillaging and plundering. And he is saying, God, you will repay them. You will pursue them. You will destroy them. And I am going to wait for you to do it. Why? Because I know you will. It's as simple as that. I'm going to wait for this to happen because I know you will do it. And this has been modeled throughout the Bible a number of times. I know you may feel uncomfortable praying for uh, injustices to encounter God's wrath. I know you may feel uncomfortable for praying for punishment of sin to happen. But the psalmists weren't uncomfortable. Jeremiah is not uncomfortable. And, and we're going to see this in just a few short weeks. We're going to talk about, we're going to have a sermon on praying scripture and praying how we ought to be praying for God's justice to come. How many of you want God's justice, right? I don't, no. I may get in, yeah, well, yeah, we're going to do it. All right. I may get in trouble, um, but that's okay. I, I don't think justice needs an adjective. I don't think there's such a thing as like um, social justice, racial justice, age justice, uh, uh, employment justice, things like that. Because if the gospel justice is actually embraced, that's better than any other justice out there. When you actually embrace the gospel. Now, yeah, I'm not saying those things don't need remedies at all. Don't, don't hear something I'm not saying. Hear me say that when the gospel is actually lived out by Christians, that's when justice starts to come. And some things we're just going to have to tarry for. Some things like there is injustice all over our world because our world is tainted by sin. One day Jesus is going to come back and fix it all. Hallelujah. I can't wait for that day. I hope it's this afternoon. I am ready. Hallelujah. But real justice is only found in one place. The heart of a father. That's the only place it can be found. So when we wait on the Lord to carry out justice, you can pray prayers like, God, this injustice, I want you to fix it. I want you to do something about it. I need you to do something about it. This is hurting me, God. This is terrible, God. And, and again, he ain't going to get mad at you. You can say, God, I hate this. And in fact, I'm not too keen on you right now. I need you to do something about this. He will hear your heart if you are praying for his justice to come, right? And, and Jeremiah, he, uh, chapter 3, which is the apex of Lamentations. We climb up to the middle of chapter 3 where he says, the, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies are new every morning. You know, these beautiful quotes that you've heard from Lamentations. Very few people quote things out of Lamentations 1, 2, 4, or 5 because they're not that bright. Uh, but at this apex, we see something here. We see through the depth of his pain, through all of his trial, through all his tribulation, through horrific suffering, things that the vast majority of us have never encountered, probably never will encounter suffering to this degree. He says, it is good to wait. 
and that the Lord is good to those who quietly wait on their salvation. And what is salvation ultimately? It's just being saved. That's what the word means, being saved. There's only one person that can save us, so why do we try to do it ourselves, right? There's only one person that can save us, so why are we looking to big tech or corporations or politicians? There's only one person that can save us. It's Jesus. That's it. So the more we look like him and act like him and ask for him, watch what happens in the world. The more that we begin to serve big tech and corporations and politicians who we only complain about, why don't you just serve them instead and see what happens? Serve them with the love of the Lord and see what happens and watch him bring justice. Because when we do this, when we wait, it's not being weak. It's not saying like, oh, I don't have an answer, so I'm just going to sit here and twiddle my thumbs. No. Real faith is in action when you wait. When you are trusting something to happen, that's when you wait for it. When you don't trust it, that's when you get impatient and try and do it your own way. And then you try too hard, and then Ishmael is born, and he's running around, and a whole other world religion is created. Now, I'm not saying it's easy to wait 24 years in Abraham's life. I'm not saying it's easy to wait 24 hours for something in your life. But I am saying, because I'm reading Lamentations with you, that Jeremiah knows the heart of his God and says it is good to wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. When you trust the heart of the Father and you bring your cries to him, when you pray in an intercessory way, when you are lifting up the needs of others and the needs of our world to God and he sees what a child is requesting, watch him answer you. Watch him change the entire world because somebody started praying. Watch what would happen if hundreds of people started praying towards things. He's going to put something in you and he's going to do something about it. But for most of us, waiting entails like, oh, God hasn't done it yet. When he's told you to do it, because he'll empower you to do it. How many times has that happened throughout scripture, right? Nehemiah had a burden put in him by God, went to a place that he was surely going to be decapitated in front of the king, and instead got a permission slip from the king, and something happened. Because he used him to do it. I believe that he can do this in our life as well. So again, this is real faith. And this is real faith at work in action when we are employing this very, very simple phrase, these four words that really you could sum up the life and ministry of Jesus with these four words. And when we are living according to these four words, watch the world change. Thy will be done. No matter what it is, God, no matter what it is that, that I'm going to experience, I want your will more than I want my will. Because God carried out justice. Because the ultimate justice has already been carried out. Right here. This is where real justice was found. This is where it was all solved forever. Right on the cross of Christ. He brought justice through Jesus. He vindicated himself through the cross and the resurrection. Lament, even without, especially without a resolution, shows us how to process these pains we're experiencing. Because there was once the Son of God up under the wrath of God, who, like a sheep led to slaughter, opened his mouth not. He was silent. And why was he silent? Because he knew what he was going to do. Because thy will be done was his mission statement. And then he goes to the cross, crying out out of Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why have you abandoned me? Why can't I see your face right now, Father? And the why is clear. Because it was his will be done that he himself bears his sins on his body, on the tree, so that we might be dead to sin and live in righteousness. By his wounds, we are healed. 
by his wounds, all is healed. Jesus lamented in worship. That is the heart of lament. Jesus said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And then he committed himself to him. He simply responded to the goodness of his father. That's worship. Worship is response to God. That's it in its simplest form. So for us, what we need to understand is the heart of our father is good and he loves us and wants to carry us in good ways so we can carry our cries to him and then we can wait and trust that he's going to come through with justice. Jesus lamented in worship and provided in that worshipful lament the greatest most motivation and hope for lament, his cross. Now Jeremiah knew this as well. Now he didn't have Jesus at this time. He wrote about it. God used him to write about Jesus in chapter 31 with the new covenant. That is Jesus, right? This is Jesus. This is what Jesus brings for us. Jeremiah was waiting on the heart of a compassionate father, a land, a people, restoration, a blessed hope and a blessed Messiah. And he was confident of God's justice coming from God's presence. And while his generation waited on the restoration of a land, we have an explosion of that promise in the kingdom of heaven. Jeremiah was waiting on a nation. We have the only nation that will never be conquered. You are actually a citizen of that nation if you find yourself in Christ. It belongs to you and you belong to it. We see the, the kingdom of God and we can look at the kingdom of God and we can look at that same compassionate, loyal, abounding in love Father with the promises he's made to us in the scriptures so that we can actually remember and trust his heart when he said, and this is a promise I will never leave you or forsake you. When he said, I started a good work in you, so I am going to finish it. When he said, I will give you wisdom if you ask. When he said, your salvation is secure and nothing and no one can separate us and no one will ever pluck you from my hand. And when he said, I promise I'm coming back and I'm going to fix everything. When we have these promises to hold on to, and because Jesus died in our place, died for our sins, repenting and believing in him alone, we are made just, we are made holy, we are made alive, and we can see, savor, and live with a faithful God. And it's an amazing privilege and promise. So I have a few questions to land our sermon today. And if you don't have the answers, don't worry. Uh, I brought my own answers to these questions today. So I'm going to help you out. Have you responded to God's ultimate work of justice? Have you, not your family, not your neighbor, not your pastor, not your church, have you responded to God's ultimate work of justice on the cross? If you haven't, you can repent of your sin and believe on him as Lord and Savior today. And this father that I've been standing up here yelling and sweating about becomes your father. It's an amazing promise. If you haven't responded, today is the day. Not tomorrow. Don't wait until you go to a Bible study. Do it today, right now. Are you waiting for God to avenge and bring real justice to the work of sin in your life and how it is swirling around you? What are you doing about it? Because each and every one of us can choose to advance 
the message of reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation. There is a ministry that all of us are in. Whether you signed up for it or not, when you, when you are found in Christ, every believer is part of the ministry of reconciliation. And that's not reconciling, you know, necessarily your aunt and uncle who are arguing about sponge cake, right? This is a holy sinful world and a holy just God. And you are part of that ministry of reconciliation if you are found in Christ. So are you waiting, are you praying for God to avenge and bring to justice all of this injustice that we see in our world? And then finally, are you identifying the hurts in your own heart and the hurts of those around you with radical compassion to where justice hasn't come yet? We are all called to do this. And when we do this, we can orient our hearts toward the kingdom of heaven where all this stuff is already done and our attitude can be changed today. So ultimately, when you answer these questions, have you responded to God's ultimate work of justice? Have you responded to the ministry of reconciliation on each and every one of our lives? Have you committed to advancing the kingdom of heaven instead of your own kingdom? Because when that happens, church family, our ultimate hope, we see it, and we know it doesn't come from a change in circumstances. We know that our ultimate hope isn't found in our life going well, or our cause being advanced, or whichever political party you more closely assimilate to being in power. Uh, last I've checked, they've both been in power for the last couple hundred years, and here we are. We need Jesus. That is the bottom line. So when we, yeah, you can clap for Jesus. It's this combination, church, of remembering the heart of our God, the heart of our Father, and carrying your cry to him. Whatever it is, whatever is crushing your heart, he wants it. Whatever you're horrified of, he wants you to bring it to him. Because when you do that, He's going to further cement his heart for you. He's going to prove it to you how much he loves you, how much he cares for you. But when you try to do it on your own, don't get surprised when you get your own results. It's this combination of carrying our cries to the Lord because we've trusted in his heart and waiting on him to carry out his justice. That is the, the essence of lament. Good, right, wise, and needed, mourning, taking our sorrows to the Savior. Biblical lament is language of suffering turned into trust and grace-filled worship. So whatever you're suffering through right now, whatever suffering you see in your nation, in your, in your culture, in your community, whatever it is, we need to understand God's heart and take it to him. However it's hurting us, we need to take it to him. Because this, this lament allows us to express our grief to God, but ultimately allows us to achieve what has been our big idea for the entire message. The thing that we've pointed to the entire message Biblical lament is the means to weep with those who weep. That when someone gives you bad news, you have something more than I'm sorry. You can say, I'm here with you. And I want to take your suffering and I want to walk into worship with you. I want to take your suffering and say, I know my God will do something about this. I want to take all the pain that God is putting into your life and my life and our life. And we're going to go to him together and we are going to trust Filled, worship him and say, Jesus, I know you're going to do something about it. Jesus, I can't fix this. My family can't fix this. My pastor can't fix this. Only you can fix 
this, Jesus. So what I'm going to do right now is I'm going to worship. I'm going to respond to you. I want to read uh, just a brief piece of scripture over us, and then we're going to worship together. So would you stand for the reading of God's word, and then we're going to close in a very familiar, uh, a very familiar hymn that really wraps up the entirety of this. Romans 8, 31 through 35 says this. And this is where you got to ask yourself some questions, church. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, or sword? Church, nothing can separate you from the love of the Father that secured you. Nothing can pluck him from your hands when you believe that his fatherly love is what is holding you. That it's not you holding your own salvation. It is Christ's sacrifice and the Holy Spirit helper and the love of the Father who had a perfect plan all along. So whatever it is you're going through, whatever pain you're encountering, if you have words like Jeremiah does in Lamentations, take your suffering and turn it into worship, trusting that Jesus is going to do something about it. So the song we're going to sing is an old hymn, and it is, uh, "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. And when we can believe this, church, when this is about more than me just standing up here yelling for 40 minutes, when this is about you and Jesus, you can get freedom. You can get real freedom to lament your pain, to say, God, this hurts, and I don't like it, but I know you love me, and I can't wait to watch you do something about it. That is our prayer for all of us as we look at this world that is dying and is in need of a Savior. So would you join me as we pray, as we turn to God, as we complain about what's broken in the world, as we ask him for a resolution, and we wait and trust him to do something about it. Father in heaven, in the mighty, matchless name of Jesus, I say thank you today. Thank you so much for the way that you've loved us, for the way that you've cared for us, for the trust that you have planted in us, knowing that I can't even trust you by myself, Jesus. So as we sing this song, proclaiming how sweet it is to trust in you, knowing that you've proved yourself and I've proved you in my own life and that I can trust you. May we walk out of this place different than we came in with the pain we're going through, with the suffering we're experiencing, with the things that we see our neighbors heartbroken and crushed over, that we can go to them with truly good news and say, I know this hurts right now, but I trust the God that's gonna do something about it. Would you trust me with it? Would you trust him together? So as we sing this song, make it the cry of your heart. Cause it to be written on your heart. Trusting Jesus is the only one who can do it. So Holy Spirit, speak to us as you always do. We love you. We trust you. We praise you. Together we say amen. And I want to give a shout of hallelujah and a hand clap of praise to our God that we are waiting on. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself today.